Awesome. Hey, welcome to church. Uh, glad you joined us uh, for service this morning. God is in the business of really doing some incredible things here in the Northwest, and you and I are fortunate, uh, fortunate to be a part of it. Hey, just two things I wanted to put uh, on your radar real briefly uh, this morning and, and just reiterate them uh, as announcements for the house this coming weekend, Friday, Saturday, uh, and Sunday morning. Uh, my friend Dr. Michael Maiden is going to be joining us for a revival weekend. We're putting this on free of charge. Childcare will be provided. We're just inviting the church to come out. Doors are gonna open at 5.30 and we're really gonna see God do some uh, incredible things. I believe Dr. Maiden is really a prophetic voice to the church for this hour. He pastors a real large congregation in Arizona, but's gonna be with us uh, for the weekend. And I really feel like he's carrying a word for the pursuit. And so we're gonna invite you out. Of course, we'll be doing baptisms that weekend as well. I feel like we've already baptized about half the city but there are more folks yet to be baptized because there are more souls yet to be saved. There's more work for the kingdom of God to continue to do. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I just still get excited about people who put faith in Jesus Christ and then follow him through the waters of baptism. There's nothing like, nothing can ever replace that. Not all the lights and the show and the fog, none of that can ever replace when somebody puts faith in Christ Jesus and then follows him into the waters of baptism. And so we're really anticipating some great things coming this weekend. And then of course, Sunday night, Sunday night, uh, October 31st, we're hosting our trunk or treat for the community. It's gonna be an incredible time, just fun, safe environment. And so if you're a family friend, why don't you come out to that event? We'd be glad to have you as we do something here for the community and for the church at large. I wanted to begin this morning uh, by showing you uh, a picture. This week, somebody dropped off uh, an old newspaper uh, at the office. This is from the 1970s. Uh, and in the 1970s, there was a publication that started called the Agape Newsletter. And it was a newsletter that was birthed out of the Jesus People movement, out of the revival that was happening really all up and down the West Coast. Uh, it, during the Jesus People movement, people like Bill Bright and Campus Crusade for Christ and the Calvary Chapel movement and Lonnie Frisbee and others came to prominence as the West Coast was trying to figure out what to do with all these hippies who were getting saved, having radical encounters with Jesus, coming in with bare feet and long hair, looking like John the Baptist, and experiencing the presence and the power of God. And so out of that uh, movement really came uh, this newspaper that was birthed, uh, the Agape Newsletter. And it, it was meant to just chronicle the ways in which God was working. Really, people consider the, uh, the, the birthplace of the Jesus People movement to be Costa Mesa, California. It spread all up and down the West Coast and for a few years really impacted uh, the Christian movement, not just in this nation, but really around the world as people peered in with interest to what God was doing uh, on the West Coast. And, and it spread all the way up to Seattle and God really began to do some incredible things. And so somebody dropped off this newsletter. I was just reading through it and just, I encourage myself with revival stories. There's so much bad news. There is so much negative news. There's, there's so many people operating in depression and hopelessness. Every once in a while, you got to read some good news. And so I just wanted to read a story of things that God had done. But as I was reading it, I noticed, as I was reading it, I noticed something in the upper right-hand corner, Pine Street, Pine Street, Pine Street Revival, Pine Street Revival. We are sitting at 265 Pine Avenue here in Snohomish. And as I was reading this, the Spirit of God spoke to me. 
and said, I'm birthing another Jesus people movement on Pine Street. I'm birthing another Jesus people movement in the Northwest. And I'm just telling you, friend, what God started in this region, he is not yet finished with. He's not yet finished with. And God is in the business of redigging old wells and causing new things to come up to the surface and causing old stuff to be repackaged in a new way to bring new life to dead people. And I know that the West Coast and specifically here in the Northwest, it's seen as, as kind of a habitually, spiritually tough area for churches and for the people of God to advance. In fact, last Sunday, I was in Texas, which by the way, is a completely different nation. In fact, they wanna be a completely different nation. In Texas, the Texas flag flies first and the American flag flies under it. I mean, that's how Texas they are. But it's funny when I'm ministering in Texas, people think about the Northwest like North Korea, you know? Like, are y'all meeting in caves there? And is it, you know, you in the bread lines? I said, well, not yet, but it's, you know. But, but pe pe people, think about, pe people think about the Northwest kind of in that context. And it's always fun for me to report that God is not just moving in the Bible belt. God is not just moving in politically conservative areas. God is not just moving in areas where there's a little bit softer soil and, and, and a little bit more of a religious context. He's even moving in places like Seattle and Snohomish and everywhere in between. And that's what you and I get to be a part of. And that's why we're excited to be a part of the great harvest in this season, because you could be anywhere, but you're here. And that proves to me that God has a sense of humor. Because if God can do it in the Northwest, I believe he can do it anywhere. And God is always using out-of-town places. He's always using out-of-way spots. He's always using what I would call valleys or wilderness experiences to display his glory and his greatness and his brilliance. And I believe God is raising up a people again out of the Northwest who will boldly proclaim the kingship of Jesus Christ and the followership of his presence. And so that's what we get to be a part of. I wanted to show you that because every once in a while, God will drop like, he drops like breadcrumbs on your journey to remind you that you're going in the right direction. Aren't you thankful for those little prophetic reminders God will send you and you'll see something, somebody will share something with you and you'll go, man, I, I, I feel like I've been hearing that a lot. God will bring people on your path to remind you that you're pointed in the right direction. And I want to tell you this morning, friend, you might not be where you should be, but could you thank God that you're not where you used to be? You're pointed in the right direction. Are you there yet? No, not me either. But together we're on a journey. We are, we are in a long obedience pointed towards the faithfulness of King Jesus in this region. And we are seeing and will continue to see his kingdom come, his will be done in the Northwest, even as it's being done in heaven. I want to share with you really a prophetic message out of the book of Daniel this morning. Daniel is both a book of history and it's a book of prophecy. And Daniel writes during a particularly difficult time for the Hebrew children because their nation is no more. In fact, about 600 years prior to Christ, the nation of Israel is carried off into Babylonian captivity, led by an emperor named Nebuchadnezzar. And in doing so, the nation has its culture destroyed, its temple destroyed, its religion changed by force, 
Yet in the midst of it, God raises up young men and young women who will be a voice, a prophetic, clear voice that says, we will not worship Babylon, we will worship God. I believe we are in that moment culturally as a church. And God is raising up voices in this season who say we will not bow, we will not capitulate, we will not give our worship to any other lesser idol. Our allegiance belongs to Christ. And to best understand our moment today, we look to the prophetic moments of scripture that help gives us context for the days that are ahead. In the book of Daniel, it records a nation carried off into captivity. And the Bible tells us that oftentimes God uses wicked governments as a form of judgment to bring his people back into alignment. Can I just submit an idea to you this morning? God knows what he's doing. Can I just submit to you this morning? God understands how the nations are orchestrated. Can I just submit to you this morning that God still works through the wineskin of government to help purify the wine that's in it? Can I just submit to you today that in the midst of the chaos, God is at work because even in judgment, he remembers mercy. The last 18 months has been a reset on the church in the West. And what we have found is that the things that we thought were so valuable are not actually as valuable as they are. And the strategies that we were so impressed with don't really work anymore. And all of the hype and all of the, and all of the other things that we try to bring to the table in order to build our congregations, when the wind and the waves came, it folded. See, COVID killed the hype church. It killed the shallow church, and it's in the process of killing the woke church. But what it is revealing is a resurrected church, a powerful church, a biblical church, a Pentecostal church. See, friend, God knows what he's doing. No, I didn't say God caused it. I said God used it. No, I didn't say God is the author of it. I said God is the one who knows the end from the beginning. And like chess pieces and like water in the hand of God, he moves the heart of kings. And in doing so, what he has positioned his church in is a valley of decision by which they must choose. Will we serve the idols of culture or the God of our forefathers? No, friend, it's a time of choosing. It is a time of choosing for the church in the West. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the living God. That Daniel 3 records a moment of choosing that I think best illustrates the cultural moment of choosing we are in. And my call to you today is to choose correctly because the region depends on it. In Daniel 3, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. I want you to see something, friend. Even after Daniel served, even after Daniel submitted, even after Daniel interpreted the dreams of the king, even after Daniel answered the questions of the king, even after, even after, even after, the issue wasn't compliance with Babylon, it was worship of Babylon. And some of you think that compliance will exempt you from the tribulation of the days ahead. It will not. The world isn't after your acceptance. They are after your worship. You will bow. You will obey. You will worship at our altars. You will sacrifice to our gods. You will capitulate to our systems. You will bow. But see, friend, you can't afford to compromise with Babylon because ultimately what it is after is your complete and total domination. Winston Churchill said it like this, an appeaser is one who feeds a crocodile hoping it will eat him last. See, Babylon isn't just a place. It's a system and it's a spirit. I know that because the Bible says so in the book of Revelation. In 17 and five, it says this, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Revelation 18 and 2, with a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen is Babylon. She has become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit. Revelation 18 and 4, come out of Babylon, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. Hear me, friend, we are spiritual exiles in a foreign land. No, don't sleep with Babylon lest you become enamored by her idolatry intoxicated by her false beauty, for there is coming an hour in which her destruction will come on all those who make their dwelling place. If you sleep with Babylon, you'll birth its destruction in your life. If you sleep with Babylon, you'll carry its spirit until it consumes you. Babylon is the lie that all paths lead to God. Babylon is the lie that all truths are equally valid. Babylon is the lie that government must be worshipped. Babylon is the lie that righteousness can be found outside of Christ. Babylon is the lie that you can self-identify and still belong to God. Babylon is a weaponized secularism that pretends we don't need God. Babylon is the lie that with enough wealth and enough health and enough tech and enough good works, you can make it in this life without God. We might live in Babylon, but we are not of Babylon. We are of Christ. We might work in Babylon, but we are not of Babylon. We are of Christ. We might build houses in Babylon, but we are not of Babylon. We are of Christ. See, Babylon is a system that puts you to sleep. And once you're asleep, it cuts your hair. It ties you up in bondage. And by the time you wake up, you no longer have the strength to stand. See, in our world today, politicians don't build idols. They build ideologies, but they demand your worship just the same. In our world today, politicians don't build pyramids. They build policies, but they demand your worship just the same. And the West is being carried off into Babylonian captivity. No, it's not a physical war, but it is a spiritual one. The message of culture is you don't need to be born again as long as you're woke. You don't need to confess your sin as long as you confess your privilege. You don't need to pick up your cross as long as you immerse yourself in anti-biased literature. You don't need to reject sin. The greatest threat to the church isn't unbelievers. 
It's Christians who have been more discipled by Babylon than they have by Christ. I like something that Dr. Kreft said, the church has never changed her orthodoxy. The world just changes its heresies. 20 years ago, it was the emergent church. Today, it's deconstruction. It's the same demon in a different decade. Our allegiance belongs to Christ. Oh, friend, this is a time of choosing. No, this is a time of determining who you will be and what you will worship. No, this is a time of establishing what type of person you will be so that after you've done everything to stand, you can continue to stand. If we falter in our hour of trial or tribulation, what it best describes is that the roots that we thought were deep were actually shallow. And God in his grace and in his mercy exposes what is shallow, not to shame you, but to encourage you to grow deeper so that when your testing comes, you can stand. This is an hour of growing deep so that the church can grow wide. We are in a time of choosing. Babylon isn't just a place, it's a spirit just like Jerusalem is not just a place, but it represents a spiritual reality. That's why the Bible says Jesus set his face as a flint towards Zion, and he refused to be moved. It wasn't just a physical disposition, it was a spiritual one. It was a reminder that we are ambassadors of heaven and we are passing through earth. What I am allegiant to is not a political party in our world, but the kingship of Jesus Christ in his world. We are stewards of the gifting and the anointing that he has placed on our life, but I don't belong here, I belong there. And that's why scripture says we set our mind on things above, not on things below, because that's where you belong, above. Now in verse eight, watch what the Bible says. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Here, hear me friend, let me be clear. Babylon is just as religious as Jerusalem. It's just a different religious system that it pledges allegiance to. When you deconstruct, you're not becoming less religious. You're just becoming more religious, but in the wrong direction. And let me tell you this morning, secular neutrality doesn't exist because there is no middle ground between darkness and light. Humanity is intrinsically religious because we were created with eternity in our hearts. We are all worshiping something. And sometimes pastors, in an attempt to save face, have hid behind theological ambiguity, hoping to plant their flag in the middle of neutrality so that they can grow wide. But they fail to recognize that until you grow deep, when you grow wide, it'll kill you. No, it is not a time for ambiguity, but instead bold, bright clarity. We belong to Christ. It's so interesting in verse 8 that the astrologers are, astrologers are coming forward to bring accusation against the Jews. Astrology is an entirely made-up pseudoscience that has absolutely zero power to tell you your future, but it actually represents something significant. People are desperate to know why they exist and where they are going. That's why people love things like personality tests and character tests and how your gifted test, and I think those can be useful tools that God can use as a part of our development. 
but it represents a spiritual need for somebody to tell us who we are. And can I tell you, a personality test can tell you who you are, but only Jesus can change who you are. And that's why the gospel is not try harder or be better. It's reckon that you are dead in order that you could be born again. And we live in a world who's desperate for somebody to stamp their identity upon them. In verse 12, the Bible says, but there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Friend, let that be true of us. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship your images because our worship isn't for sale. I love the accusation that they bring against the Jews. I love that in their minds it's an accusation, but in the minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's actually a resume builder. No, this is who we are. I know you mean your commentary for evil, but God's using it for good because you're just reminding us of who we are. No, I know when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. Your accusation is that we won't worship at your altars. You're absolutely correct because I will bow my knee and I will confess with my mouth the lordship of Jesus, but nothing less. These Jews, they won't, they won't pay you any attention. That's a key for some of you in this season. Pay zero attention to the barking dogs and the barking critics who are perpetually offended by everything except sin. Pay no attention. Mark them. Have nothing to do with them. Pay no attention. Why? Because your destiny cannot afford demonic distraction. Pay no attention. When they're talking about me on social media, they will. Trying to cancel me, they will. They're saying all types of evil, they will. I don't get invited to the same things anymore. Oh well, pay no attention because our worship and our validation and our identity, it comes from above. If you live your life worried about what other people call you, Come on, you will live enslaved to the opinions and the fear of man. Now watch what happens. Paul says this in Philippians 4, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Can I tell you that paying no attention takes practice? Because our gut response is to want to defend ourselves and our position to everybody else. But no, it takes practice in your mind to set it, to think about and dwell on correct things. When I think about that term set, I think about it in the same context when a bone is broken and you go into a doctor and they have to reset the bone in order for it to grow right. And see, some of us in our mindset need things reset because we've been hurt, we've been wounded, we've been distracted, and in doing so, we've grown in the wrong direction. 
And what happens when we get in the presence of God is he breaks off old thoughts and old patterns and old mindsets and old ways of living so that there can be a new setting for our mind to engage with so you can dwell on things above instead of on things below. Pay no attention. Well, I've had to put this into practice the last 18 months. We got all sorts of letters and all sorts of threats and fines and you name it. Pay no attention. I can't let it ruin my week, let alone ruin my day. In fact, I'm not even gonna let it ruin my hour. I will not bow to your images. Now watch the response, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so these men were brought before the king. They replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Let me rework that in our context this morning. I know God is going to heal me. But even if he doesn't, I refuse to worship my disappointment and doubt. I know God is going to resource me. But even if he doesn't, I refuse to worship my poverty and my lack. I know God is going to restore me. But even if he doesn't, I refuse to worship my pain and my bitterness. Where are those type of people today? No, I know God is able. And more than that, I know that he will. But even if he chooses to deliver me in a different way, I still won't worship at the altar of my disappointments. <clears throat> worship that is not tested is worship that is not trusted. And God in his grace leads us through seasons of testing to temper the resolve of our worship. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, no, I know. And I love how they begin their rebuttal to Nebuchadnezzar. They say, we have no need to defend ourselves. <laughs> no, God's got that covered. No, he walks ahead of me and behind me and on my left and, and, and on my right. And he is my shield and he is my armor and I'm hidden under his pavilion. And even if you don't understand and even if you want me to give a defense, I'm going to guard my heart. God's going to guard my character. He will defend his people. So our commitment is to stay submitted under the mighty hand of the Lord, knowing that in due time he will promote. Oh, God's got it. No, God's seen where we're going. God sees the cultural moment we're in. God hasn't forgotten his people. God is faithful to every generation. God is faithful to his covenant. No, no, God doesn't have a memory problem. We've got a memory problem. And the next time you're tempted to give up on God, just begin to give him thanks for all the times he could have given up on you but didn't. How he took you out of the miry clay. He took you out of the valley of the shadow. He made a table for you in front of your enemy. In the middle of your darkest night, his light broke through. While you was in the tombs, he called you by name and you got up out. When you were wrapped in grave clothes, he unwrapped you. When you were naked and afraid and alone, he came close to you. Remember that God next time you're tempted to give up. Oh no, I got a God who defends me. No, he's the defender of the orphan. He's the defender of the widow. He is close to the broken. He is close to the contrite. This is who he is. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, no, we have no need to defend ourselves because God, who is the defender of his people, 
who guards the armies of angels in heaven stands ready at my defense. And no, God will save us. No, God will deliver us from your hand. But even if I lose everything in the pursuit of obedience, it is worth it to stay faithful to Jesus. Where are those type of people today? Watch what happens. Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. Now he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied and threw in the fire? He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And in fact, the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Friend, God allows us to walk through the fire because it is the process he uses to free us from the bondage that ties us. And God didn't appear until they were in the fire. It's not that he wasn't always there. It's that his presence is most felt when life is most difficult. And if walking through the fire is the price of admittance, to experiencing his presence, then sign me up. <laughs> because this is who we are. And it's so, it's so interesting that Nebuchadnezzar sees God through the faithful obedience of three Hebrew boys who refuse to bow to his image. Simple obedience changes history. Uh, you, can, you can throw us in. You tie us up and bind us together. And, and you can throw us in. But what you mean to harm me, God will use to free me. The fire not only won't burn us, it will consume everything that you use to bind us. I want you to see this. The last 18 months was the strongest shot the enemy has ever taken at the church in the West. And for those who remained faithful and for those who remained obedient, what we have done is we have walked through fire and come out the other side refined. We have come out the other side better than we were before. We have come out the other side stronger than we were before. We have come out the other side more committed than we were before. Because what we saw was a furnace with a flame, but behind it we saw one who walked like the Son of God with us through every season of life. And if the furnace is where he is to be found, then turn it up seven times hotter because that's where we're going. So we're not praying that God would make it easier. We're praying that in the midst of difficulty, he would make his presence even felt stronger. That's my prayer for you. That's what Jesus tells Peter. Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that you would be strengthened. That's my prayer for you. It's not God, give everybody who attends pursuit an easy life. No, give them a worthwhile life. Give them a faith that stands in the fire. Give them a perseverance that stands in prison. Give them a strength that stands in the sh Give them the resilience to stand when other people falter. Give us those type of people in this type of hour. And the Bible says this, let me end here. Then the king promoted, watch. Then the king promoted 
I want you to see this. In five verses, Nebuchadnezzar goes from trying to kill the people of God to promoting the people of God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Hear me, anything I won't bow to, God will give me authority over. Because a faith that is not tested is a faith that is not trusted. See, the furnace was a test. It was part of the pathway to promotion. And for us, God leads us through these seasons of testing, these refining fire type moments where the things that we think we need dissolve in his presence to reveal the things that we actually need to move forward. I can't explain to you what it feels like to be a pastor over this last season. Outside of this, I've tied a knot to the end of the rope and I'm hanging on and I'm not giving up because I know our best days are ahead of us. And it don't matter how hot the furnace gets or how difficult the road gets, if we stay together, if we remain united, we can see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That's why scripture says fight for unity because when you get alone, it's more easy for you to get picked off. And really only a united church can heal a divided nation. And if we can remain united in here around the pursuit of the presence of Jesus, around a worship and an honor for him alone, then God will direct our steps. He will lead us in the way everlasting. He will guide us in the way that we should go that we would never depart from it. See, if you want authority in finances, refuse to worship it. You want authority in culture? Refuse to worship it. You want authority in family? Refuse to worship it. You want authority in education? Refuse to worship it. Because God can't trust you with it until you have been tested by it. Friend, we're in the midst of a Babylonian culture, but we serve the King of Heaven. And we're building houses here and we're building churches here, and we're taking cities here, we're launching campuses here, we're raising families here, but we don't belong here. We belong there. And I want you to keep that truth in the tension of your Christological development as we move forward. No, I'm gonna do everything to build and occupy until he returns, but this isn't my forever home. No, I'm not addicted to the approval of culture. No, I'm not submitted to the approval of culture. No, that is not the thing that ultimately validates my identity or gives me some sort of cultural affirmation because I don't belong here, I belong there. Yeah, this is who we are. This is our hour of testing. And you and me together will go stand strong. Come on, would you stand with me as we close?